0: Open your Bibles for the reading of God's Word as we examine this morning the sixth of the Ten Commandments. But uh, I want us to read all the way up to that point, beginning at chapter 20 of Exodus at verse 1. And we'll read down through the sixth commandment in verse 13. Exodus chapter 20 at verse 1. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So we've come to the sixth commandment, and uh, just a reminder to you that these ten commandments express not only the will of God, but also the holiness and character of God. And because you and I are made in his image and redeemed by the blood of Christ, we are called upon to please and honor God, to reflect the glory of God By keeping these Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments are a summary of all the commandments that God gives in His Word. You can summarize them even further by express by Jesus' expression that we are to love the Lord our God and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. The Ten Commandments are broken down into those two aspects. The first four commandments, how do I love God? Keep the first four commandments. The last six commandments, how do I love my neighbor? Keep those commandments. And those are all detailed out in various parts of the Old and New Testaments. And as we read earlier today, we are called upon to keep God's law because Jesus did not come to do away with it. He came to fulfill it. And every little aspect of the law of God is to be fulfilled perfectly in him. And in our cases, imperfectly, but truly. And as we grow in Christ, we become more and more able and willing to apply God's law to all aspects of our lives. So we come this time to the sixth commandment. Remember, the fifth commandment was a bridge. How can I... I love my neighbors myself, well, I begin with loving God, the first four commandments, and I begin to learn how to love the Lord and love other people in the home. And we honor our father and mother by heeding to the authority they've given us by God and submitting to, if they're Christian parents, we submit, of course, to their teaching about the word of God. And so now we come to this very strong commandment. And if you're like most of us, early on in your Christian experience, you begin to see more and more what the Ten Commandments are about, and you think about how you are living in the light of that. And you come to the point where you say, Oh, the sixth commandment, there's one that I don't have any trouble with. I've never murdered anybody. All right, let's move on to the seventh. And as we'll see, uh uh-oh. So every single commandment is deep. It's more profound than we often realize. And so we can't just scan through these and think, uh yeah, I'll keep that one. No, don't keep that one. Check that one off. The more we understand the Ten Commandments, the more we learn how sinful we are. And the more we learn how sinful we are, the more we are amazed and awestruck at how great a redeemer from sin we have in Jesus Christ. Now, very simple outline here for you. The meaning of this commandment is first. And it really is dealing with two aspects of of, uh, murder. By the way, it's murder. The word is not kill. The word is murder in the Hebrew. The Hebrew has several different terms for murder. And right here, this term is referring to, or or for killing, excuse me, and this term is referred to uh, murder. Murder of the hand is what this law is forbidding as well as murder of the heart. Pretty easy to figure out the murder of the hand part, that we are not to take the life of someone who is innocent of any wrong uh, that we see or perceive that they have done. It is not our place to take their lives. Now, there are times when it is appropriate to kill, different words appropriate to kill. And what are those uh, biblical uh, exceptions? Well, self-defense would be one. If someone is attacking you and about to shoot you or kill you, you have uh, the right to resist that and to seek to stop that, even if it means killing the person that's about to kill you. That's legitimate, according to scripture. If we had time, we'd go into some of that, but we... We must move on. Just wars. If a nation is invading our nation, it is proper for us to defend ourselves and to kill the enemy before they kill us. And then, of course, capital punishment. We'll say a little more about that uh, in a few minutes. But capital punishment is sanctioned by God in his word that those who have committed murder... Their lives should be taken as a just punishment for the wrong they have committed. So with those exceptions in mind, we want to be focused on <clears throat> how we can commit murder. We can murder by the hand, as I said. You know, people can be quite clever in devising ways to murder someone. Think about all that David went through, King David in planning for and executing the, no pun intended, executing the murder of Uriah, his general, and seeking to cover it up. Of course, he failed in that and thankfully repented of that sin. Um, Recently, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I think I saw on the TV program uh, about a wife who wrote a book, How to Murder Your Husband. Now I'm not recommending that book for uh, personal reasons. I would just prefer that not be read, um, especially since we had our 50th anniversary yesterday. I think we've kind of we can move on from that. Um, how to murder your husband? Well, the story, as it unfolded, of course, uh, the program uh, deals with uh, how the, they go, went through the process of the investigation. Uh, of a certain murder and it just happened to be that the woman who wrote the book, how to murder your husband, her husband was murdered really in real life. And so they, the authorities began to investigate, you know, was it this person? Was it that person? They went all the way through the program and finally came to realize, well, it was the wife. It was the wife that murdered her husband. Now, whether she was thinking about that when she wrote that book, who knows? But that's the way it worked out. So again, I'm not recommending that book. So the whodunit uh, in that book turned out to be a she done it. So we can be guilty of murder of the hand, but we can also be guilty on a deeper level of murder of the heart. Yeah, we read just a few minutes ago Jesus'. exposition of this sixth commandment you've heard it said you shall not murder but I tell you do not be angry don't be angry and he goes on to say this is how serious it is you will be guilty ultimately of breaking that commandment that would in would qualify you for the fires of hell itself In other words, you can be guilty of the sin of murder in your heart. And just as the catechism tells us, what does every sin deserve? Not the craziest sins, not the most extreme sins. What does every sin deserve? The answer is the wrath and curse of God. And that's how serious we need to be about any of these commandments. We break them, and we have to learn how to keep them. First John three, verse fifteen, points out to us uh, this this very truth, but it does it in <clears throat> it does it in uh, a way from written by an apostle, the apostle John. So you've got the commandment itself, Moses has set down here in Exodus. You've got Jesus' explanation of that commandment in Matthew 5. And here you've got John who wrote the last books of the New Testament, literally wrote the last ones. And in 1 John three fifteen, he says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I don't know how much plainer that can be. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now, when we think of hating, you can break that down into a number of things. Anger being probably the the most uh, obvious one. Have you ever been angry? Don't need to ask that, do I? What causes people... To break this sin, anger or or bitterness or revenge. Our words and our actions reveal what's in our hearts when we break this commandment. What causes people to commit all the murders that we've been reading about in the news, the shootings especially? Murder of the hand is a result of murder of the heart. Jesus made that very clear. Uh, In his explanation of these things, in Mark 7 and uh, Matthew 15, he talks about how every sin comes out of our hearts. Out of the heart proceed all these things, including murder. So the real reason and the real solution, by the way, to dealing with murder is not just the external aspect of it. It's the internal aspect of it. The only way to get rid of a true murderer, inwardly and outwardly, is to deal with the inward part. Get the heart right. And then you won't have to worry about the hand part. Both are important to God. And the Christian faith is, is exclusive in <clears throat> drawing us all the way down to the very source of every sin in our lives including the sin of murder. It's a matter of the heart. I often repeat that old saying most of you have heard, I'm sure. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And Christianity is the one that probes deep enough to get to the real problem, the source of the issue that we have. If you're angry with someone, you need to look at yourself first. Don't be pointing your finger at the other person in what you believe that they have done or not done that makes you angry. Your response to it is what you're responsible for. And you must work through that properly. Murder of the heart. And that means all of us are guilty of murder then. And there's two implications of that. One is a good news implication and one is a bad news implication. The bad news is that each of us is a murderer by God's standards. Uh, You don't get a free pass on this one. Each one of us is a murderer. Christian uh, author and counselor David Powlison has written a book called Good and Angry. Good and Angry. Obviously, you know what the subject is. And so he's got a chapter in there entitled, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? And the chapter, after the chapter title, you know, you go to the page that begins that chapter. The chapter consists of one word. You ever read a one word chapter in a book? So you, you turn the page from the title of the chapter and you look at the first word, which is also the last word. The chapter is entitled, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? And the answer in the chapter is yes. That's it. Then he moves on to the rest of the book. Do you have a problem with anger? Yes, you do. Yes, I do. We all do. That's one of the effects of sin in our lives. (coughs) Each of us then, and here's the good news, each of us not only has a problem with anger, each of us being a murderer, but each of us needs a savior for our murderous hearts and actions. And of course, we think of what Christ's work of redemption means for us. Christ never had a problem with righteous anger and he never had a problem with sinful anger he was righteously anger angry but he never was unrighteously angry like we are he kept the law the sixth commandment perfectly and incredibly he was declared to be guilty of a crime worthy of death and so he was unjustly Judicially declared guilty and he suffered the penalty of capital punishment. He did that not because he had broken God's law. It was all a rigged deal. We know that. But he did it as a substitute for our crimes Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree, says the hymn. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. That's what Christ did for murderers like us. Christ transforms our hearts, causing us to love others and enabling us to to overcome and deal with our anger. Again, we, we don't deal with anger perfectly. You and I are all going to be angry again, maybe before the day is over. But we have access to the grace and mercy of God to provide forgiveness and strength to make progress in our handling of anger. But that's a glorious thing. All right, moving from the meaning of this commandment, let's look at the reasons for this commandment. Why is this commandment given to us? It's because of man's depravity. Man's depravity. I mentioned Mark 7. That's Mark's um, uh, words uh, from the same thing that Matthew said in Matthew 15. It's Mark's account of of how Jesus explains where all these things come from, like uh, anger and murder. Now, I came across a number of years ago a story in the news about someone who was guilty of murder. But legally, it was a specific kind of murder. And I had never heard of this uh, civil law before. It was called depraved heart murder. And in some way or another, it has to do with... A person being indifferent to the other person to the extent that they take their life. A little bit different version. And we have second degree murder and manslaughter and those different categories. Depraved heart murder. And my thought was, isn't every murder a depraved heart murder? Of course it is. But how many people in our society actually think in those terms? Why do people kill people? Well, they came from a poverty background. You know, and, and all these socio-economic or uh, explanations for why people kill. They just lost their temper. And you hear about people who uh, somebody will kill somebody else over an argument about uh, a telephone, a cell phone, or something like that. Something really trivial. And you think, why would somebody kill somebody over something is trivial is that well it's been led up to that point and the person doesn't know how to deal with their anger and uh, they get so angry they just explode well that's not enough of an explanation you have to go to the heart as i've been saying that's what jesus says and so most people seem to live this leave this biblical principle out and just try to explain why people murder in other ways and of course that's not going far enough Not only because of man's depravity, but we need this commandment because of man's value. Man's value. If you murder someone, you are not just murdering an individual human being. You are murdering someone who is made in the image of God. Genesis 9-6 is where uh, we read about uh, capital punishment. And in reading about capital punishment... It explicitly says in Genesis 9:6, for in the image of God was man made. The image of God means that we have the likeness of God. There are aspects of our uh, nature that are embedded in us because we are like God. For instance, we are able to love, we are able to, to communicate uh, in specific words, we are able to think and uh, rationally uh, work through things. Uh, things like that. That God's that way. We're that way. And being in the image of God means that that we have a, the highest possible standing of any creature in the universe. A fellow human being is someone in the image of God. Some of you, I'm sure, know uh, how in some societies, if they're really angry with a head of state, they will hang them or burn them in effigy, which means they make a sort of a little uh, model uh, of that person and uh, paint them and make them look sort of like that head of state. And they're so angry at that head of state, since they can't get access to the head of state to kill him, they do it in effigy. his likeness. And so in, in killing that, that uh, creation that they've made to represent the head of state, that's their way of saying, if he were standing right here, we'd kill him. Sort of like that with people who kill other people. They're made in the image of God. And so when you murder another, another person, you are in a sense assaulting or attempting to assault God. You know, God's not around in a way that we can kill him as if he could be. Of course, he can't be. And so we do what we can do. We kill somebody out of anger over what they have done or not done towards us. <clears throat> the point of that is man's value simply means <clears throat> that every human being, for their life, is precious. Every human being is a life that is precious, highly valuable. Friends, that means every kind of person, not just people like you or me, people of any nationality, people of any race, people of any kind of perceived or known flaws, people who are severely disabled. That's significant because of the fact that we need to treat them accordingly. Okay? And then we should keep this commandment because of God's justice. God's justice. When it's all said and done, it's the judge of all the earth who will correct all wrongs. Not our place, to personally take vengeance on someone, uh, to vent our anger and think, well, he deserved it. In the Bible, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. When it comes to civil law and, and the legal aspect, we have to let those processes play out when crimes have been committed, including murder. They won't be played out perfectly. And this is where our hope and comfort is. God's going to equalize all of that. He's going to level everything out. Everybody's going to get what they deserve. And believers in Christ won't have to fear that because Christ got what we deserved in our place because of him, we can, can seek to be faithful to God's commandments. Now, last thing I want you to notice is the keeping of this commandment. Let's just think about what, what does this mean uh, to, to apply and to practice the keeping of the sixth commandment. Think about it in terms of individuals. The gospel liberates us from the tyranny of sins like anger and murder so that we are free and desirous of loving others instead of hating them, of showing them compassion and care and mercy, the very opposite of what anger would do. We are called to do all that we can to protect, human life. Uh, Philip Ryken, in writing on this commandment, says here's what we can do as individuals when it comes to keeping this commandment. He just gives a few examples. I want to share them with you. He says we can pray for peace in the troubled parts of the world. We can intercede on behalf of the unborn, the disabled, the elderly, We can help save children through adoption and foster care. We can care for the sick and the dying. We can send relief to those who are oppressed. We can work to make laws that bring justice and promote life. Those are the kinds of things that keeping this commandment means. In a very simple way, I uh, I would put it uh, in Then the form of two short statements don't take a life instead save a life. My calling before God is to not take a life but positively to do all I can to save and protect life. For families family dynamics are shifted under Christ where the individual family members begin to focus not on being self-oriented anymore, self-oriented, but instead to be other-oriented. Anger and murder are basically the result of pride and selfishness. You've done wrong to me or you have something I want and I'm going to take it from you and if you resist, I'll kill you. Instead, under the gospel, it's more of, you know, why is that person doing this? Don't they know what's wrong? Now, you might think it's silly to, to try to, to uh, have a discussion with someone who's pointing a gun at you and getting ready to kill you or rob you. And may, That may not be the time. You have to figure out, you know, what's the best way to deal with this? Hope we never have that problem. Some of you may have. But the point is, as we are able, we need to communicate A love within our families, we need to communicate that we are concerned more about them than ourselves. And we want to seek to influence them to be the same. Of course, parents uh, have a great calling to do that. They need to instruct their children to treat others with kindness and forgiveness and caring. To teach them the way to resolve conflicts peacefully to restrict their exposure to programs and games that glorify violence. That's what feeds a lot of the murderers that we have in our world today. And it becomes more and more tense the more you watch things like that and, and around people like in gangs that are like that, that they think the answer is to kill someone. We need to learn there's a better way in our own homes. But I want to finish with uh, uh, three major current controversies To just touch on each one of these for our society. How can I keep this commandment in terms of the problems in our society? The first one I would think of is capital punishment, which has always been a point of contention. Uh, There are some states... Have outlawed capital punishment. Other states still maintain it in different forms. But there needs to be, according to Genesis 9 and many places in the Bible, there needs to be legal punishment for wrongs and laws that have been broken, including murder. And the crime should uh, the the punishment should fit the crime. We don't need to soft-pedal the extreme crime of murder. That will only, well, that's injustice. And it emboldens others to commit the crime as well. Romans 13 talks about how we need to submit to our authorities. And it tells us there that the civil authorities do not wield the sword for nothing. What do you use a sword for when you are a part of the civil authorities? Police in, in Roman times, ancient Rome, the, the uh, soldiers, they had a sword. What was the sword for? It wasn't for show, it was to kill. The civil authorities do not use the sword for nothing. They have the authority to inflict capital punishment. Maybe they do it justly, maybe not, but that's the role that they're given. What about abortion? Of course, that's a huge issue in our nation today with the recent Supreme Court ruling. And the, the two basic worldviews of people are coming into sharper and sharper focus with an issue like this. The two basic worldviews being basing your life and how you see things and want to do things on what man uh, understands and and wants. And the other worldview is oriented around about God and what he wants and desires. A man-centered worldview versus a God-centered worldview. Until very recently, the Christian church has Practically universally opposed abortion. Some people think, well, yeah, they've done that for all these years, but it's time that we see the light and, and we've got a better way. That's been happening in a lot of issues, but this one is really at the forefront right now. Doctors, take the Hippocratic oath. Hippocratic is not hypocritical that's a different word. Hippocratic, the Hippocratic Oath is based on the Greek philosopher, ancient Greek philosopher named Hippocrates. And from ancient times, doctors have taken what's called the Hippocratic Oath, and where the doctor says, I'm going to solemnly promise to do everything I can to preserve life and protect life. And it specifically has mentioned all through these centuries, they will not perform an abortion. More recently, there are a number of medical schools and legal terminology that have changed the Hippocratic Oath a little bit. Guess where? The word abortion is not included. As far as I know, it's not every medical school, but it is in a lot of medical schools. And so they don't make that promise. And that's very telling, isn't it? Very troubling as well. For Bible believing Christians, human life begins at conception. A beautiful Psalm 139 tells us, beginning at verse 13 For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me. Notice he doesn't say you knitted the fetus or something like that. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. What, what amazing words. That's one of the most beautiful passages to me in the whole scripture. How David saw who and what he was in, before, before he was even born. He praises God for that. The story is Told, I don't know how true it is, but there were two physicians. Uh, this comes from Eric Alexander, uh, minister, two physicians. And uh, they were talking about uh, parents where the father had syphilis. The mother had tuberculosis. Their first child was blind. Their second child was dead. Their third child was deaf and unable to speak. Their fourth child had tuberculosis. And then she got pregnant for the fifth time. And the doctor said, I would almost certainly terminate the pregnancy. That's, I'm sure that kind of thing is happening, you know, all the time. Hopefully, not too often. That combination, of course, is quite rare of the diseases and problems there. But the doctor, one doctor said to the other, I probably would have certainly terminated the pregnancy. And the other doctor said, well, if you do, th- do this, the musical world will be upset with you because you would have killed Beethoven. That description I gave you of all those children before Beethoven's birth, that was his family. We can go on and on about that. Human life begins at conception, and there, in that sense, the Sixth Commandment applies to the issue of abortion. And then one other issue was the issue of euthanasia and suicide. That continues to be an increasingly difficult thing that's happening. More and more people are wanting, the elderly especially, not just the elderly, to, when they get to a point, whatever their age, where... It's determined on the on the relatives' side, and even the physician sometimes. Life, this life is not worthy of continuing. And my, and the same thing with suicide. When a, an individual decides their life is not worth continuing, and they either kill themselves or they have someone assist them, a physician assisted the suicide. But the point is, who has the right to make that call ultimately? Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It's God's call when he wants to take us, how he wants to take us, even if that means suffering. And so we have to work through that issue and not give in to the spirit of the man-centered view of life in that very, very important aspect of -of end-of-life decisions It all boils down to an issue of authority, though. Who's my ultimate authority? The world says I'm my ultimate authority. What I think is best, how I understand it, how I see it. A Christian says, you know, my thinking is affected by sin, too. I don't always pick up on what the right thing really is to do. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? So I have to look to uh, 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 an ultimate source that is absolutely reliable in all cases. That's the Lord himself. Can you see how incredibly relevant the sixth commandment is? Not only to you personally, but to your family and to our society. We can't change everybody, of course. We can't change anybody. We can't even change ourselves without the help of the Holy Spirit working in us. So what we are called to do is to begin with ourselves. How can I refrain from anger and replace that with compassion, mercy, love, forgiveness, whatever the situation would require? Whether our society is dominated by the foolishness of man or by the wisdom of God... That's always going to be contested in a fallen world. But here's the good news, again. It's into this spiritual cesspool of fallen humanity in a fallen world that Jesus Christ stepped in. He came into this messed up world to redeem it to show that there is a glorious and better, much better way to handle our lives and the issues of our lives. Jesus came to revolutionize those who come to him for forgiveness and for the new life that he alone can provide. Whatever happens in our lives and in our society, we still are called and able to honor him by trusting him and his word applying these Ten Commandments to ourselves and to our children. As we do, we find the peace and purpose that God and God alone gives, along with amazing blessings that come to those who love him and keep his commandments. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we truly are disturbed by the things that go on in this world. But we do not despair because we have the hope of Christ and we can shine as lights of the power of the gospel of grace into this dark world that thinks that God can't answer these things, that God can't provide ways to deal with the problems of life. It's so the very reason Jesus came, to put us right with you and to enable us to live lives that are right between us and others. Help us, Lord, to keep this commandment. Help us to, to evaluate our own hearts and motives when we need to be honest before you about where we do find anger welling up. And know and remember the fruitlessness of anger so that we will find and implement a better way that you provide in your word and through your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.